The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Through Psalm 119, and we continue in it. This psalm is full of teaching uh, about God's Word. It, it shows us what we are to believe and feel and do with the Bible, with God's Word. And one of the things I appreciate so much about Holy Cross is that there is such a diversity of experience of how people might come to the Bible and your experience with uh, the Bible. Uh, some of you might have, have come to this series full of faith. You, you understand it. Uh, you are the ones that need a neck brace after each sermon because you're the ones just nodding the whole service, right? Uh, you get this. You are encouraged by it. Some of you uh, come, I understand, with even skepticism and maybe even a lack of faith, a lack of understanding about the Bible. You're still trying to work things out of, of what it means. And uh, this might be the first time you've heard a series like this where we talk about what we should believe and feel and do with the Bible. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you're digesting these things with us and hopefully growing with us and hopefully learning more about what the Bible has to say about God and about us. Uh, some of you still believe, uh, you, you, you come with this belief that uh, you, you know what it says, but you're now having a, a renewed sense of, of uh, encouragement to apply what you believe and what you do in your life. And so many of you have picked up a journal of uh, one of our supplemental books. You're walking through this with us. I've, I've heard some encouraging things about people that have written journaling. Deb Tilly is one of those. She's just covered her journal up. Um, does, is that okay? Okay. Yep, she's demonstrating. We still have journals out there. They're $3. Uh, if you want a journal and book, they're $10. Um, so those are great resources. Um, jump in where you can. But whatever the case, I trust that as we dig in together, we'll be better prepared to benefit from coming face-to-face with the most wonderful book that has ever been written. And our ultimate aim, and this is a good point to talk about this as we kind of make a transition in our series, our ultimate aim is not to know the Bible better. The, our ultimate, name, ultimate aim is not to come to God's Word and say, now I know more about the Bible, but our ultimate aim is in knowing the Bible better, that we would know Jesus better, that we would know Him, that we would love Him, that we would worship Him with all of our life. The goal is Jesus. He is our aim. The Word speaks of Him. He is our incarnate Word. He is the incarnate Word of God, and, and we have the written Word for us to learn about Him. So He's our ultimate aim, not just good Bible reading habits. You know, John 1, uh, verse 1 to 3 and 14 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The four gospel writers give us probably the best Uh, account of the life of Christ, his life and ministry, who he was and what he did. And nowhere in the Bible is there more of a clear testimony of the life and work of Jesus than in the four Gospels. And John, one of the Gospel writers who wrote that scripture we just read, he wants to communicate something to us about Jesus. That everything that we hope to discover in God's Word, we will discover in Jesus. Everything that we hope to discover from God's communication to us When we ask God, would you speak to us? Let us know who you are and what you are about and what you have done. Teach us about you. Everything that we hope to find out from God's response, we will see in Jesus. Jesus is the final and full communication of God to us. Hebrews chapter 1 kind of reiterates this as well. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers 
by the prophets, and, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to uh, the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And the word, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, made his dwelling among us. The divine becomes human. The all-powerful becomes vulnerable. The everlasting and eternal becomes killable. This is the word of God. Jesus, the word of God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, is God's climactic and decisive word to the entire world. And what is he telling us? What does the scripture tell us about this word, this communication from God to us about Jesus? That whatever we come to learn about the written word, we will learn about Jesus himself. And so the first three weeks we talked about what do we know about the Bible? What do we believe about the Bible? That the Bible is true, that the Bible is right, that the Bible is good. And so whatever we come to learn about the Bible is true about Jesus. So Jesus is true. Jesus is right. Jesus is good. And so this morning let's see how Jesus... Uh, reveals the true knowledge of God, how Jesus communicates the righteous will of God, and how Jesus fulfills the good plan of God. So let's walk through those. First, Jesus reveals to us the right, a true knowledge of God. In Jesus, we come to truly know who God is, truly know God. I've been watching a lot of comedy lately, stand-up comedy, uh, Jim Gaffigan to be specific. You guys know him? Let me ask that question again. Do you guys know him? Do you know him? See what I mean? Now, you may say, oh, I I know things about him. I've heard him. I've I've listened to his stuff. Um, But can we honestly say that we know him? And, And why don't we know him? Because he hasn't spoken to us. You know, and it's not the same. I mean, if we go up to a concert and we rush through the crowds and we rush on stage and we go to him and say, Hey, Jim, it's so good to see you. I'm your biggest fan. And then we get taken by security and we taken off. We might have a really awesome story to tell, but we still don't know him. We don't know until he speaks with us. Now, if he came up to us and said, I am, I'm Jim. It's nice to meet you. What is your name? We could legitimately go to our friends and say to a certain extent that, yes, we know, we know Jim Gaffigan. And that would be pretty fun. That's kind of one of my dreams. <laughs> Do you want to know God? And not just know about him, not just know him by proximity or by association of, of intellectual association, but, but knowing God. And the Bible tells us that we can actually know God in this way. Like know him truly, uh, authentically, meaningfully, personally. Have this relationship, a bond of unity and friendship and purpose with God. And it can only happen through the Word. And Jesus is the Word made flesh, and the Bible is God's revealed Word about the incarnate Word. Jesus is the Word. And and this means that it takes Jesus, it takes Jesus to truly know God. And not all things. There are things that we can know about God. It doesn't mean that we... we, uh, You can't know anything about God without Jesus. Even the Bible says that. You can know of his goodness and his wisdom and his power. You can know of his purposes and his his kindness. You can know of so many things through nature, through other people, through 
um, through the church. You can know through created things. You can come to know things about God. But the kind of knowing that transforms a sinful person to a saint, a sinner to a saint, only that kind of knowing can come through Jesus. The kind of knowing that is only possible through knowing Christ. And Jesus was well aware of this this singular authority that he had. He was the one that said, I have this singular authority. I hold the, the market on eternal life. No one comes through the Father but through me. And he says, and, I'm, and, he's, and he's very aware of this. Look at what he says in John chapter 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over, over all flesh. To do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given me. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus was so aware that he was the climactic and decisive word of God about the true knowledge of what it means to know God. Jesus was well aware that he was the one that would bring true knowledge of God, knowledge that would lead to eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of sins. Other religions claim to know the way to God, and Jesus was the only one that said, I am the way. Everyone else is a pointer to God, attempts to point to God. And Jesus has said, I'm the only one. I am the way. I am that which is pointed to. And apart from me, there is no life in God. The Bible shows us that God has spoken clearly. He's spoken intelligently about these things. Looking in our uh, Psalms as we work through it this morning, Psalm 119, verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your words give light. It, gives, uh, it, it imparts understanding to the simple. It teaches us. It, it reveals what is true about life and about you. And the goal of God speaking to us is not merely about giving us information or making us smarter people, but about transformation that comes from a result of knowing God, truly knowing Him. The only kind of knowing that comes through Jesus. There's no relationship on earth like the one that we can have with Christ. Because it is only through that relationship that, this, that we truly come to know God. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know, really, really know God in that way? Do you want to know if God is real? Then you must know Jesus. And I understand I put myself in a vulnerable position by saying this to you all, but I, I stand back and I say, these aren't, these aren't my words, these aren't my thoughts, these aren't my um, uh, conclusions. These are things spoken clearly of in the Bible. And it's one thing to say, well, I don't believe the Bible, and that's, that's a good conversation to have. But it's another thing to say, but I believe the Bible, but I don't believe that Jesus is true. Do you want to know God? The Bible says that we must know Him, that we must know Jesus. See, it's helpful to talk about it here in this place where we've, we've putting it because the last three weeks we talked about the Bible is true. And it's been my attempt to, to open up God's Word and say, look at how the Bible is true, that it is without error. Look at how it's right. Look at how it is just, that it is, that it is perfect, that it is the straight edge that, that, that reveals every crooked edge and all of the creation. And look at how it's good for us, that it's not just a book of rules mandating how we live, but it is our hope. It's our salvation. And look how Jesus is all of those things. 
You know, in the Bible, we even see, which is helpful for us, both Jesus' opponents and his friends misunderstood this point while he was doing ministry. They misunderstood that Jesus was the true revelation of God. In John 10, Jesus uh, meets with the Jewish leaders in the temple at the time to talk about the word of God, to talk about the scriptures, his revealed uh, scriptures that have been given to them. And he tells them, the word of God cannot be broken. The word of God will stand forever. The promises of God will stand forever. and No one can overtake them. It is true. It is right. It is good. And the religious leaders, they say, of course, you're saying what is right. We agree with you. And then Jesus takes it a next step further and he says, and it's talking about me. I am the fulfillment of all that God has promised. Of, of the, all of God's scriptures. And I alone have the ability to give eternal life that it promises to give to broken and sinful people. I alone have the right to give forgiveness to sinners. I alone have the right to be the sacrifice that God requires for all the wrong that we have done. And you know what happens next? You know what happens next. They kill him for this very reason. They plot his murder because he was claiming to be the word of God, the fulfillment of the word of God, revealing himself as the true knowledge of the eternal God who has created all things seen and unseen, who has written the only story of all of creation. And that was what was so offensive for his claims. See, Jesus claims to be the true revelation of God. That was his opponents. And now look at his friends. They missed it as well. The night before his death, Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he's talking with them. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then Philip, one of his disciples, turns to him and says, Jesus, just show us the Father and everything will be good. Everything will be right. We're waiting. You keep talking about God. You keep talking about being the way and the truth of God. Would you just show him to us? And Jesus says something so good. He says, you still don't get it? After all this time that I've been with you, you still don't get it. He says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Because he is in me and, and, and I am in, and, and, and in him and we are one. You know God fully, completely, if you know Jesus. Do you realize what this means? This means some really great stuff. It means that there is no relationship more transformational, transformational than that with Jesus Christ. And it means that when we know Jesus, we are as secure in the Father's love as Jesus himself. He is the true revelation of God, the final and complete. All the fullness of all that God has ever wanted to communicate to us, we find in Christ. Let's go to the second one. That he, Jesus communicates the righteous will of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. Maybe you like this. It's another coffee cup verse. You may have it on a coffee cup at your house. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love this verse. I'm glad that we can get, on, get to it when we get into Psalm 119 this summer. Jesus not only reveals the true knowledge of God, Jesus communicates to us what God desires, what he wants. He shows us what God wants of us, his wants and desires and plans and his agenda what is God's agenda for us? Let's think about this. What, is, what does he want? What should we do? How should we act? How should, what should we know if we desire to live in such a way that brings pleasure to God, that blesses him, that is pleasing to him? These are good questions. 
This is one of the, the biggest questions that I get from, from people deciding their course and in their confusion in their life, and they say, what's God's will for me? And in the Bible, we see this best expressed in that phrase, God's will. Wherever we see the phrase, the will of God is, dot, 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 this is where we should really look at it because God is telling us, this is what I want for you. God is communicating to us what he desires, his agenda. And some think, well, God wants us to, to be good people. He wants us to be kind and loving. And he wants us to be compassionate. Love your neighbor. Do not judge. Turn the other cheek when you are wrong. And these are commandments of God to us, to Christians, how to live our lives. But they are not God's agenda. They are not God's final will. They are not God's purpose in us. So what is it? It is only in Christ that we see God's true agenda. Here's a quote from a book that our ladies are reading in their life group this summer. You Can Change by Tim Chester. He said, in Jesus we see God's agenda. God isn't interested in making us religious. God isn't interested in making us spiritual. God isn't interested in making us self-absorbed. God isn't interested in mere serenity. God is interested in us becoming more and more like Jesus. Don't you see that God has come to dwell among us, to take residence in our hearts by the presence of His Spirit, to make us more and more in the image of Christ, to transform us from one level of grace to another, to be like Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be made into the image of Christ. This is God's agenda for us, and we see that in Jesus. Everything short of becoming like Jesus, everything short of that does not mean what does not look like what it means to be a Christian. But to be, to be a Christian is to be the object of God's affection and grace so that we are presented to God as a pure and spotless bride with the glory and love and righteousness of Christ. I've heard this fictional scenario that was helpful in understanding how this works out and what this really looks like, this, the will of God communicated to us in Christ. Imagine that there was this, an alien or someone from a foreign land, and he comes to earth and he wants to discern like, the religion of Christianity, and he wants to study it, and he, wants to, he has questions about uh, what it means to be a Christian and what we believe. And so he goes to a, a Christian that he finds and he says, where, uh, where is your temple? Where do you meet God? Where do you go and worship? And, and this person says, well, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. And he says, well, what about your priest? I mean, where do your, where, who is your priest and where does your priest meet? And, and, and where does he offer um, all these things up to God? I mean, how does he inter- intercede for you? And he says, well, we don't have a priest. We have Jesus. Jesus is our priest. Jesus intercedes for us on our behalf. What about your your sacrifices? Where do you do your sacrifices? Where do you offer up your your blessings to God? And the person says, well, Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our final and true sacrifice who gave himself for our sins. You see, in Christ, when we see the revealed, we see the communicated will of God in Jesus, we see that we don't get a religion. We don't get... That we understand what the Bible says, and when we do, we see Jesus, and instead of religion, we get a person. But the point is not a religion, the point is a person. Religion says, live this way so that you can be loved and accepted, and 
Christianity says, because you are loved and accepted, you will live this way. There is no Christianity without Jesus. And there is no honoring Jesus without submitting to him. And there is no submission to Christ without repentance of our sin. And saying, Christ, all of my life is yours. I bring my whole entire life, my, my wants and my dreams and my hopes and my fears and my attitudes and my goals, all to you, Christ. Because that, that is God's agenda for me. His will for me is that I would be like you. So you are my Lord. You are my hope. You are my salvation. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. There is no Christianity without Christ. Without believing that Jesus is the true God and giving our life completely over to Him. And letting Him shape our thinking on every level. Our confession is fruitless. It is powerless. This is what Jesus brought to the, the Pharisees and how He rebuked them. He said, he says, you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from Him because you do not follow me. What does God want? This is an important question. If we believe that God is real, that he has created all that there is, that he has designed us, then a good question is, okay, what do you want from me? What is your will? And the answer is to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, for us to submit our lives to him in all of our hopes and fears and joys and sorrows, everything short of this, the Bible says his lawlessness, it is breaking God's law, it is sin and disobedience. But it isn't where God ends. Look at what Christ continues to do. And lastly, Jesus fulfills the good plan of God. Why does God talk to us in the first place? Why does he even utter a word? Why does he give us his scriptures? Why does he give us Christ? Why does he reveal to us all that he desires and wants and whatever he has done? The point of all that has been ever said, the point of all of God's revelation, including Jesus Christ, is our redemption. To save and to restore. To mend what has been broken. To bring joy where there is sorrow. To bring peace where there is pain. God revealed something in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of Scripture, where he created all that there is. He created Adam and Eve. He, he saw sin come into the garden and corrupt mankind. He saw rebellion, a separation between us and God because of sin. And we see Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, utter the first gospel. The first gospel is preached to Adam, and he says, I'll rescue you from this. I will redeem you. I will restore all that has been broken. I will buy back with my sacrifice and my blood the debt that you have incurred because of your rebellion. Psalm 119, the psalmist cries out and says this in 49 to 50, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and affliction, that your promise gives me life. In 81 to 82, my soul, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Have you been betrayed? So has, so has the incarnate word. So has Christ. Have you been lonely? So has Christ. Have you been mocked and ridiculed? So has, so has he. 
because he did not stand from afar and see our need and our brokenness, but he rushed into the chaos of our sin and he gave himself for us as a substitute. It's one thing to die for your friends. It's one thing to lay your life down for those who are your friends. And the Bible says it's yet another thing to lay your life down for your enemies. And this is what God does for us in Jesus. Pursues his enemies, loves us, and dies for us. Gives us his very life. We are being told by Jesus in us and in us through his word that just as Jesus came into history, God comes into our lives to be with us forever. That means that there is nothing in our life that we can face. There is nothing in our personal lives that we would look at and say, that thing cannot change. That thing is unforgivable, unchangeable, unmendable. There is nothing that we can look at and say, God can't fix this because he gave everything. He gave us his son. You know, we we come to know this good plan as we read through Scripture, as we give a thoughtful read to the Bible from beginning to its end. We come to know about this good plan by the opening lines of the Bible. We see God create. We see him call into existence all that there is. We see him cultivate into existence mankind. And then we see chaos and sin rush into creation and create guilt and shame and brokenness between God and man. Adam and Eve were banished from paradise. The land was cursed, and their very lives were cursed, and they began for the first time to die, and their bodies began to break down. And quickly, as quickly as harmony with God is broken, God gives a promise. And he gives a promise as he looks to the serpent, he curses the serpent, and he says, a day is coming that the offspring of woman will rise up and and it will crush your offspring. It will crush your head. You will bite its heel. You will attempt to hurt. You will harm. You will rob. You will destroy. But, But a day is coming that the offspring of woman will destroy you once and for all. There will be intense hatred between God and sin, between those who belong to Christ and the world. And Eve has a child. And she praises God. And she says, this is God's promise and fulfillment of his promise to me, that my seed will bring rescue. And his name is Cain. And no one names their child Cain. Why? Because he was the first murderer. She says, this is God's answer to all of suffering. And it proves to be the opposite. If anything, it proves that they will continue for generations and centuries in brokenness and pain and sadness as an effect of sin and their rebellion against God. And they mourn the loss of their son Abel. Cain is cursed from the land again. Cain proves to us not to be the promised fulfillment of God's salvation, but he proves to us instead to be a painful picture of the reality of sin. That apart from God, there is no hope. And the rest of the Bible is an outworking of God's promise in Genesis 3. And people for centuries will ask the question, 
Is it time? Is this the one? We have gotten it wrong so many times, and maybe we're just going to stop hoping. And for generations, there were people who did stop hoping. The entire world at times forgot to hope. They became so discouraged that they said, we're not going to keep looking anymore. And then there were times when their faith was renewed and God would reveal himself to them and speak to them and say, and he would reaffirm his promise to them through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph become second in command in Egypt and the people of God become into the millions and then they, be, they are in slavery for over 400 years. And then God calls Moses to rescue God's people. And a curse comes on Egypt, and God's people are rescued from slavery, and they are brought into the promised land, and then they rebel again, and God continues to reaffirm time after time his promise to them. And he raises up a kingdom, and he brings King David. And he, shows, and he, tells, he makes a promise to David and says, Your throne will last forever, and I will raise up a king from your family, family that will be king of kings and lord of lords, and he will be king forever, and no one will overthrow his kingdom. And we see sacrifices and we see ways to atone for our sins through the shedding of blood. And then there is silence for a long time, a silence for over 400 years. And then a, man, a boy is born of a virgin in Bethlehem. The Word becomes flesh and He dwells among us. Emmanuel. And people say, is it time? And then He grows to become a man And John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what Jesus says? After this response in the the scriptures, he says, The time has been fulfilled. He says, It's time. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the good news. Know me. Follow me. Turn from sin and find salvation. The time has come. And if we are looking for anything else, we, we, we are on a fool's errand. We will never find it. The Bible even says that if we refuse the good news of Christ and repent of our sins and hope to find it in something else, there remains no sacrifice for us because there is no other way. In the Bible, we see Jesus begin his ministry. He lives a perfect life. He dies in our place. He utters scripture at every point of his life. He bleeds scripture. Even on the cross, he he cries out the word of God and he dies and is buried and he's alive today in victory over sin and death. And the gap between you and I, the gap that we feel when we wrong each other, when we hurt each other, when we sin against God, that gap is wrong and it's a gap between us and God and it's of cosmic magnitude and it's a gap that we cannot fill on our own. And the good news of the word of God becoming flesh And dying for us is the substitute for needy sinners like you and me. God has revealed to us who he is and what he is like. He has shown us the will of God. And he has fulfilled the good news of salvation for us. And so let me very quickly leave you with these implications and applications. Really quick. What does this mean? If these things are true about Jesus, then there is no halfway approach to him. There is no halfway approach to Jesus. If he is the word of God, if, if whatever is true about the Bible is true about Jesus, then, there is, then it's all true about Christ. Then it is all or nothing about him. 
He's not another prophet that points the way to God. He's not another good teacher who shows us merely just how to live. He's the final and decisive revelation of God, and there's no knowing God apart from him. If we want to hear from God, we need to listen to Jesus. We need to read of his words. We need to confess. We need to repent. We need to turn to him and ask for forgiveness that we would find hope. And second, if this is true about Jesus, then Jesus has the final word and everything must be tested against the word of God. Tradition does not have equal authority with the word of God. The loudest voices in our culture do not have equal voice and equal authority to the word of God. The goal of our gathering and even teaching and and singing and praying and and reading, the goal of our lives as, as Christians on Sunday and every other day of the week is not merely just to listen to our hearts, to listen to others and how they might feel. The goal is to listen to God's word and to trust in all that it says. There's not a single thing in all of creation that God does not utter the words, this is mine. This belongs to me. I am the good and loving owner of everything that there is. It's timely, isn't it? Isn't it timely? Uh, God's word is so relevant. It's so timely for us in, in what we need and where we need to find hope and where we need to find clarity where there's confusion. And I hope to not uh, have these good things overtaken by, by recent cultural events and decisions, but there is something good to speak into this. There is good application and implication as we reflect on, on things going on in our world. You know, if you're wrestling with the thoughts and implications as a Christian on the Supreme Court, uh, rulings on marriage, on sexuality, on morality, relevant to these truths and what God's Word says, know this. It's good to be familiar with those implications. It's good to think through, what does this mean? What is this exposing? What should I think about this? But know this, that as Jesus says, God's Word will not be broken. This does not in any way change for the Christian who loves God and loves His Word. It does not in any way change the understanding of marriage and sexual morality. It is good for us in the extent that it helps purify our faith and strengthen our hope, not in legislation, not in governments, but in Christ. That's what this is all about. Jesus is saying, no, no, I have claim on everything. I am the fulfillment of hope. I am the true revelation of what is right and what is good. I will show you who God is. And for us, and even me personally, what it does is it increases my hope in Jesus. And then it increases my confession and repentance in God to God saying, God, I'm sorry for the times I have hoped in anything but you. I am sorry when my happiness relied on certain things in my family, in my culture, from the courts, from my, from my whoever, from my friends or anybody else. Nothing will change. Nothing will change for those who love God, who love his word, who bathe their Lord with their mo- in, in the midst of most comfort, con, um, controversial matters. And through the word, we see that Jesus looks at his, into the eyes of his disciples, and he looks into your eyes, and he looks into my eyes, and he says, my word will not be broken. You can trust in me. I am your hope. And it leads us to our last implication. Whatever hurts us, Jesus has the remedy. 
because he's our good. He's the fulfillment of God's good. Whatever hurts us, Jesus has the remedy. He showed, he should, uh, we should follow him. He knows our pains, and he's experienced greater wounds than us. And in their deepest confusion and most vulnerable times, as, as Jesus was killed and resurrected, and they scattered, and Jesus looks into the eyes of his disciples, and he promises something to them. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. We can trust in Christ. We can believe him. We can be content knowing that he is the the fulfillment of all that God has promised. And reading actually this week uh, some confessions of St. Augustine, he's uh, an early church father in the fourth century, he says, it dawned on him as he's reading through scripture, he said, you know, if, if Jesus is true, if the word became flesh and dwelt among us, then everything that God has ever said is true. Everything he has ever promised will come true, and we don't need to be afraid. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he tells us that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. God, will you, will you remain true, Jesus? Will you speak to us, Jesus? Will you care for us and be good to us? Will you save us and rescue us, Jesus? He is everything. And our worship leader put it so well this morning when we met earlier today. I said, today's going to be a great day. It's all about Jesus. And he said, every day is about Jesus. And I said, why don't you preach this morning? (laughs) This is the truth. Everything is about Jesus. Our lives are about him. Let's turn to him. Let's confess of our sins, repenting of them, and turning to him for life. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.